0: FYI, this podcast contains spoilers. Hey, everybody, welcome to episode 434 of the podcast that goes Snicked. Snicked. I'm your host, Jason. Do these designer jeans make me look fat and minimal? <laughs> It is a bonus flashback episode. This is going to be our uh, gluttony for punishment episode. A common theme you might see, or always in the first handful of things we talk about. Um, yeah, so while, while Wolverine in 1993 was super ubiquitous and all over the place, as you're discovering, you didn't already know uh, going through this podcast, there's a whole lot of stuff to talk about when Wolverine is. Bouncing around from comic to comic, all over the place. Well, there were some other characters that were almost as ubiquitous. I I would say this guy in particular is probably pretty close. I mean, he in in appearances and guest appearances, uh, probably not that far away from from matching Wolverine's total. 92, 93, uh, maybe dropping off a little by 94. I'm not actually sure. That's kind of how it feels like in my mind and my memory, but I could be way off. I don't have the spreadsheet. Sorry, Michael Kaiser, if you're listening. (laughs) I have not totaled uh, their appearances by calendar year, but I feel like they're probably neck and neck. Um, And that, of course, is the Punisher. I mean, If the early 90s are the age of the anti-hero... You know, Wolverine, obviously, is kind of the tough guy, X-Man... Well, the Punisher is the, uh... The standard, I guess, for 90s anti-hero. Um... And I know that, uh... The Punisher has come under some fire lately... Uh, for... Different reasons, uh... Different appropriations of his logo and stuff like that... Most of which is bullshit... Um, and, and by that, I mean the appropriation. Like people using the logo for for not good reasons. <laughs> um, and reasons I don't necessarily support. Um, so I understand there's probably some problematic stuff there. I don't really want to get into that. I mean, this is a Wolverine podcast, not a, not a Punisher podcast. I would just say, you know, I'll talk about the character as he stood in 93. Um you know, kind of what his interactions were going on back then. And so that's kind of what we're going to do. So um we're going to start off with a Wolverine appearance in Punisher Warzone number 19. Now, Punisher Warzone is an interesting title because it kicked off with, like, the first, ah, uh, maybe 10 issues or so uh by Chuck Dixon and John Armita Jr. Had a really cool, like, mafia story. That I think is actually like the first six, excuse me, the first six issues in particular. It's probably one of the best Punisher stories of the 90s, and I don't know how you feel about different Punisher stories. Maybe you're like, what? What about Suicide Run, which I haven't read yet, <laughs> so I can't really comment. But I know that's highly regarded. But um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Punisher by and large, and his. Uh, own title and in War Journal by this point had gotten very one-note and formulaic. And this particular issue will be some more of that. And, I don't know, when Warzone first launched, it was kind of a nice departure from that. Yeah, Furniture as a character was still somewhat one-dimensional. I mean, he's a guy that's very, he's a character that's very singular of purpose anyway. So, not He would always take a lot of opportunity to try to... really flesh him out in a meaningful way. Um, And when they do, it's always just, Hey, remember his origin? He lost his family. Oh, that's sweet. Or sad. You know? Um, But anyway... So Warzone was a book that kind of started off a little bit differently. But by the time we get here, I had well dropped this book. And I... It's not not that much as on Marvel Unlimited, so even with my read-along, I think I had stopped around 10 or 11, wherever the last issue was there, and so 19 happens to be part 3 of a three-part story where Wolverine comes in. I have not read the first two parts. I don't really feel like I'm missing anything here, Um, but let's talk about this one. So number 19 is written by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, which are names I did not recognize in 93. I definitely recognize them now. Um, You know, they've done a lot of stuff since then, a lot of uh, cosmic stuff and other stuff like that where they've had pretty good success. And actually, a story that really made me kind of fall all... I was kind of on the fence with Punisher... As a kid, collecting, and kind of shifted more towards X-Men and Spider-Man, and we were still getting Punisher, and then Euro hit, which was I think a seven-part story, also by uh, Abner and Lanning, um and by Doug Braithwaite, who is someone whose art I enjoy more than I did as a thirteen-year-old. Um, anyway, um, where was I going? So. Yeah, so Euro hit with a story that, that kind of killed my Punisher collecting. And it's interesting because going back and doing my read throughs now, uh, it's probably my second favorite Punisher story of the early 90s uh, as far as what holds up. Um, a lot of the stuff that I really liked back then, I don't like as much, right? Um, stuff that I thought was really cool. Like The Sicilian Saga, which still has really great uh, Mark Teixeira art, but it's not a very good story. <laughs> least, well, it doesn't hold up very well. Um, so stuff stuff that I thought I really liked about the Punisher as as a dumb kid, um, I don't like as much anymore. And then the stuff that, that kind of got me out of Punisher is stuff that I liked a little more. I will say, I don't know... This is not as good of a story as... And, or maybe even as good a writing as what we got in Euro Hit by Abnett and Landing. But uh, we'll get into that. Anyway, so the other writers, the penciler is Hugh Haynes, who's another guy that I remember really liking as a Punisher artist. And the stuff he did right before this on the regular Punisher book, I think it's still pretty decent. Um, so we'll talk about how it works here. In um, is Rodney Ramos, Leonard is Michael Higgins, colorist is Kevin Tinsley. And our cover is by Dwayne Turner, who right now is the penciler on Luke Cage and is just about to jump ship over to uh, Image and do some Stormwatch stuff, which you can hear some of those issues on the currently, maybe permanently paused, All the Pouches podcast with John Wilson, which is a great show. Uh, So even if there's nothing new. And if you haven't heard it yet, there's a lot of really old. Ep- or there's not. There's a high volume of really good old episodes for you to check out. And Dwayne Turner is the guy that will show up over there because of his Stormwatch stuff. Uh, the cover is actually really good. Um, we have a guy. I think his name ends up being Johnny, who's um, on the bottom shooting a an Newsy. The Punisher is in the middle because it's his cover, and he's shooting two uh, compact submachine guns. And then behind them is Wolverine with his arms up, like, raising me. Uh, <laughs> you Pro Jam fans out there. Um, and the, the, there's a lot of, like, fire, so it's all like red and yellow and orange. And the way Turner draws Wolverine and his grimace and his howling, it almost comes off like um, a Chinese dragon mask. And I'm not really sure how it Fitz Wolverine, but it's a really cool look. <laughs> it looks great. Um, it's actually a pretty great cover. Um, I like it quite a bit. Um, so, alright. The Punisher is bullets deep in part three of a mission uh, to protect a uh, Canadian oil rig from getting blowed up by a villain named the Architect. Um, it turns out his partner Jack sorry not Johnny Jack used to work with Logan and he called in some old IOUs so Logan shows up to help Punisher and Logan split up to bust skulls and defuse bombs including a nice two claw around the face interrogation that's always fun uh, they can't stop all the bombs but they do cap the well to minimize the damage alright there's also a cool pinup. Um, trying to read I think it's by Wong Wen I think it's the name um, it's a, obviously a full page spin-up, and it's Wolverine in his X-Men suit but with no mask uh, and it's like it's like a profile so he's crouched and the Punisher standing behind him with a machine gun and a bandolier of bullets uh, interesting thing uh, Punisher has a skull cap or a do-rag with his uh, logo all over it like multiple times, like multiple logos. That's a pretty good pinup. I believe this guy did a couple of really cool covers on the Punisher series to some stories that I could not finish reading uh this time around. Where he's like in the wilderness and, and stuff. Um, I think it's the same guy. But um anyway. Um the story's pretty meh I mean it's pretty just standard. We're on a mission, we're gonna fight some stuff. Um so I remember liking Hugh Haynes. This art's not great. I don't know if he was doing something different or or what, but like, faces are kind of flat and it's just not it's, it's i don't didn't really love it that much um so overall other than the cover, really not much to say about this book <laughs> um. Yeah, I gave uh, Punisher Warzone 19 uh, 2 out of 6 claws. I really, I mean, I really don't have a lot. Uh, Like I mentioned, there was a cool scene where Wolverine does a thing where he's interrogating a guy and he does two claws on each side of the face and threatens with the third one, and that's pretty cool. Um, But even then, when Haynes does it, it's kind of a weak panel. (laughs) Like a cool idea, but not a great panel. Um, So, yeah. Yeah, two out of six claws. Um, Yeah, really not not much else to say there. So, the main kind of book that propelled this episode is going to be a graphic novel called Designer Jeans, which doesn't actually focus on Wolverine. There is one very, very brief cameo uh, related to Weapon X, but it's Spider-Man Punisher and Sabretooth so a graphic novel where they are the trio of stars um, and so that's kind of what we're going to talk about so designer jeans is written by Terry Cavanaugh uh, penciled by Scott McDaniel inked by Keith Williams oh interesting we just had him on uh, another graphic novel as a penciler uh, Joe Rosen is the letterer and Tom Smith is the colorist Um, On the cover, we have a foil embossed cover of Spider-Man swinging from a web and there's a big spider web in the background. Sabretooth is launching himself through the web and punishes in the middle shooting guns. And all the webbing is foil. And it's a pretty cool effect. Um, And it's a pretty decent cover. Um, McDaniel is not quite turned into the artist I will really, really enjoy. His 90 stuff is is evolving towards what he will be. It's not quite there yet. Um and Kavanaugh, we just we had some of him on the podcast recently with uh, some moon Knight issues. So that's kind of what we're what we're dealing with here. So alright. Hang on for this one a second. So uh Peter Parker finds butchered lab animals at ESU and tries to follow the trail. Sabertooth lurks on the roof. After busting a ring of arsons, the Punisher is enlisted by a group of homeless whose friends are being butchered, and Sabertooth lurks on the roof. When the Punisher followed a trail into the sewer, Sabretooth strikes at his homeless friend, but leaves them to be maimed or, or cut, but not dead and not really that seriously injured, so it's kind of weird for Saber Um. Anyway, a mad scientist performs experiments on animals underneath the Bronx Zoo. Of course, he has a rich businessman benefactor, which will turn out to be Roxxon, uh the evil big corporate entity in the Marvel Universe. Um, apparently, borrowing Ghost Rider's skull cycle from the 70s, so basically, Punisher's riding this motorcycle that has, like, this big front of the motorbike is, like, a big Punisher skull, which looks a lot like what Ghost Rider rode um, when he had his skull cycle in the 70s. Um, anyway, Punisher rides around on that through the sewers until the not-more locks, uh, so they're just people that live underground, kind of like the people Venom helped in, uh... Um... I oh, was the one where he went to San Francisco. Not... Uh, uh, not... I can't remember what it was called. But anyway, um, that first Venom miniseries where he went to San Francisco um, and they found like these people underground. Um, they point him in the direction of the monster that lurks the sewers. So we're, we're led to believe this is Sabretooth, right? Uh, Spidey and Punisher follow the trail and arrive simultaneously as Sabretooth goes berserk in another lab. And here's where he has a memory of being chained to a table ...with Logan and Silver Fox... ...and that's our only Wolverine... ...but obviously, we talk about Sabretooth on here... ...as well... ...so... um, ...of course they disagree on how to tackle... um, ...him... ...you know between... ...Freeze by Spider-Man... ...and die by Punisher... ...and there's a big fight... Uh, ...the violence spills outside... ...as Punisher shoots Sabretooth point-blank... ...off a snowy roof... ...of course he heals... ...and heads to the zoo nearby... He hides with the lions who tried to protect him from the bickering heroes. Finally, Punisher gets enough of Spidey's nagging and turns on him as well. But Spidey gets his way eventually, and he and Punisher interrogate the wounded Sabretooth. It wasn't me! <laughs> uh, he got the scent of an old Canadian scientist from Department K. Uh, he recovers and breaks free, leaving a rock saw label from one of the cages. Spider Man tries to spider trace Sabretooth around the city while Punisher investigates Roxxon. Um, of course, they all end up at the same Roxxon meeting with the mad scientist as well. Um, Punisher and Spidey bust up the meeting as they follow the Roxxon benefactor to the secret main lab. The scientist sneaks off. The lab has designer genes, the name of the book, or otherwise known as hybrid mutants. Uh, kind of Dr. Moreau type thing, like, or or high evolutionary, like trying to make these people creatures, or creature people. Then um, the scientist sends in a remote control manimal, it's a wolf, badger, coyote, and other stuff, uh, to attack. While Spidey wrestles with the beast, Punisher goes after the scientist, but Sabertooth gets the, uh, there first, and, and murders the scientist. And then everyone skedaddles away from there. Um... So, the art by McDaniel, as I said, is not his best yet. It, there's flashes of what he will end up doing in the Bat books a little bit later, which I really like. It's definitely stylized, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it worked really well in the Bat books. This this early stuff here, the stuff he's doing in Daredevil, I think you see his art evolve, and I'll have to remember, and I'll, I will kind of track it mentally as I go through the books, you know, kind of parallel to our flashback episodes. I believe you kind of see his, his art evolve through his run on Daredevil and kind of get closer to where I really enjoy his art. But even on the earliest Daredevil stuff, um, I'm not really loving McDaniel yet, but I know I will. So it's, it's an interesting kind of thing. Um, so on the story, the plot's actually fine. Um, you know, we ran through it kind of quickly, but it's a pretty solid story. But the one-liners and the dialogue and some of the bickering... It's just exhausting. Uh, Kavanaugh doesn't really have a handle on the character voices, I don't think. Sabretooth sounds a little bit out of character at times. Um, it's just, yeah. Um, so it's, it's, it's okay as, as a written piece. Um, the art's okay. You know, as far as Sabretooth goes, I mean, it's interesting seeing him here. Still have not and I'm beginning to feel like we're not going to ever explain what happened to him after the Cyborg story and the Wolverine solo series when he fought that guy, uh, Farron, Fa- yeah, I think his name was Farron, who was Cyborg, P-S-I, Borg, um, and seemed to kill Sabretooth when he died. Now, obviously, we don't really see what happened, so there's not a definite death, but it's not been addressed at all. Like, Savage just kind of showed up in other random books so far with no real, like, oh, by the way, I escaped You know, it's interesting because I don't think you have to do it all the time. And I really enjoyed kind of the tight editorial reading 70s Marvel stuff where every time a bad guy shows up, it was like a page or half a page of, like, this is how I got from the last time you saw me. You know, I can see where maybe that's cheesy. but I don't know. It also makes for... Just a universe that feels lived in and connected, and I just I enjoy that kind of stuff. So for Sabretooth, to just kind of be like, well, maybe I died, maybe I didn't, but we're not even gonna acknowledge that that happened. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we'll get it in an upcoming story in the Wolverine series by him and himself. Uh, hopefully so. But these guest appearances is just kind of like, oh, it doesn't really matter where I am. I'm Sabretooth. I'm here. Um, but yeah. Uh, overall, I would give designer jeans three out of six claws. So uh, we're moving pretty quickly, which is fine. Um, so the next book I'm going to talk about is Punisher meets Archie. And man, when I say Wolverine is barely in this, Wolverine's not even really in it. A snicked makes an appearance and part of his claws, <laughs> but that's enough to talk about it. Um, So, I won't really... Because he's really, really barely there at all, I won't really get into it too much. Really, the idea is that... Well, let me do the credits, at least, right? I mean, that's important. So, Punisher Meets Archie, When Worlds Collide, is written by Batten Lash, with art by John Buscema and Stan Goldberg. uh, When Buscema covering... The Punisher, specific pages, and Goldberg covering the Archie pages, and there's pretty sure there's some pages and panels where they both do pencils, which is kind of an interesting idea of a jam comic between these two universes. Um, Tom Palmer does the inks, Barry Grossman does the colors, and Jack Morelli does the letters. And the cover, and there's two covers, one by each publisher, actually, because they both published this book. Um... One is Punisher meets the Archie, and one is Archie meets the Punisher. Uh, the Punisher meets the Archie cover is a takeoff of Punisher's first appearance by John Mashima, and it's the Punisher standing with his gun on his shoulder, when he looks rad, and, and then Archie is in the sights. And then the uh, Archie meets the Punisher cover is the the high school dance for Riverdale, and Archie and Veronica are dancing, and Punisher's in the foreground with his gun, and Archie's like, I knew there'd be a chaperone, but this is ridiculous, and it's, it's pretty funny. Um, so really the gist of this this whole comic is that there's this guy, Mel J, and he has a bunch of aliases, that Punisher's been hired by the FBI to bring down. But he looks like Archie with buck teeth, which also, by the way, kind he looks kind of like Arcade. <laughs> um, and he gets away, and Punisher tracks him to Riverdale, and just hijinks ensue. Um, everyone mistakes Archie for this guy, including the Punisher, so Archie gets in all kinds of trouble, not only with the Punisher, but with rival gangs to this this Mel J, who everyone, refer, Punisher keeps referring to him as the Query. Um... Which is weird. Actually, not even the... The one thing I'm going to complain about is the lack of articles in the writing in this book. He refers to him as "query," um, And, anyway, eventually he, he realizes that they're not the same guy. Archie's a different kid. He's an innocent kid. And he protects... Tries to protect Riverdale. And really... Really gets enamored by this town and kind of what his life could have been. And really goes to all lengths to protect not only Archie, but the town of Riverdale from just crime in general, including, you know, uh, this Mel J guy and the rival gangs that are trying to hone in on his territory, and, you know, there's a cross between a little bit of, like, you know, your normal typical punishment gun violence, but there's also some slapstick stuff, uh, the book is just very charmingly written, um, I really, I really enjoyed it, um, And the art, so the art's a great blend. Anyways, uh, I guess let's talk about the Wolverine thing. So at the very end, you know, Punisher finally leaves and he and Microchip take off and there's like a picture of the world and it spins around and Wolverine, Cerebro has detected this new super powerful mutant and Wolverine gets like a printout or a picture or whatever and it's Jughead. And Wolverine's like, oh, so you're the best, huh? We'll see. And from off panel and then we see this clause snicked through the picture um, I want to actually I know it's been a while and this has been kind of put, put up in the attic for several years now but I, I would still be okay if someone wanted to revisit the idea of a Wolverine Jughead crossover um, bring it on um, <laughs> anyway uh, so the art in this book works really well you know, John Mishima is doing a little bit more grinnier, kind of 90s comic art. And then, of course, um, was it Goldberg or Goldman? Um... Goldberg, you know, is one of the classic Archie artists and, and really leads into that. And it doesn't sound like it should work, but it really does. It really works to a great effect. Um... And the story is silly but sweet. Like I said, there's a lot of humor, a lot of slapstick, a lot of hijinks, a lot of your typical just silly like mix-ups and and stuff you see in, in old Archie comics. Um, but Frank and the Pun, or, you know, the Punisher, smitten with the innocence of Riverdale, it's not only sweet; it adds. You know, I just talked about how 90s Punisher really, very often lacks any kind of depth. Like, his, even though it's silly and it's played sometimes a comedy, his infatuation with this town as kind of a standard of an ideal family life or an ideal place for him to have raised his family, were they still alive? Like, I don't know. There's there's a lot psychologically going on there that surprisingly in a book called Punisher Meeks Archie is one of the deeper portrayals of, of the Punisher of this time period. At least I feel like. Um, it really, there's a lot to unpack on on the complexity of what he's feeling, his motivation as it changes through the story. Um, yeah, the only thing that bothers me in this book at all is... So so. You make, there's also a funny thing when they make fun of the War General. So it's like, Punish the War General entry, and there's like the numbering is wildly inconsistent. It's really high and then really low all in the same book, and that's funny. And there's also some scenes where Archie keeps a journal, and then uh, I believe Betty, maybe Veronica, uh, has a journal at the end, and they kind of kind of make fun of the war journal in both of those. And that's, that's cute and funny as well. But I feel like in the journaling especially, and this is where... You know, if John Wilson was here, he would say, oh, well, I I would just assume that the Punisher made the writing errors, not the writer of the comic, because he's writing in his journal. But there's just there's some weird, like, grammar things and, and articles missing where maybe they should be. And I understand, like, giving the foe a nickname, but it doesn't really, I don't know, there's places where it just doesn't feel like there should be some these and A's that are not there, and it kind of bugged me a little bit. And then the other thing that was kind of weird was even though they explain it as he, him kind of slumming <laughs> or lowering his standards, it seems weird that the relationship between the Punisher and the FBI would be anything that would be tenable or workable at this time. A, that the FBI would be willing to use the Punisher even for this Mel J guy, and B, that the Punisher would be willing to work with the feds and not just try to kill this guy. Um, you know, it it gives the furniture a reason not to just murder people, but at the same time, it's a little, little thin. But, other than that, I love this book. It was sweet and charming and just overall excellent. And I'm going to give it a very, very strong five out of six clause. So the next thing I have to talk about, I don't really have. Um, there was a series of comics in 1993 by Drake's Cakes. And both Sabretooth and Wolverine were in, I think, three out of the four issues. Um, I did not find copies of them that were affordable. They weren't super expensive, but for comics made by a snack company, I, I don't really want to spend 6 $7 an issue. Uh, it just doesn't really uh, put my vote. Plus, I don't know what Drake's Cakes are. Um, when I was growing up, we had, um, snacks by Hostess and Little Debbie, both of which were really good, and occasionally, like, Mrs. Bear's, like, with the sleeves of powdered donuts and stuff. I've never heard of Drake's Cakes until I saw these in the reading order. Um, anyway, there's four parts. There's Carnage on Campus, which is obviously has yes, Carnage and Spider-Man. Uh, Danger on the Docks, which is where Wolverine comes in, and then Mayhem on the Mount and Lunacy in Latveria, which have both Wolverine and Sabretooth on the covers. Now, it looks like the guy that did the covers also did the interior and the arts. Pretty decent on the covers. I don't, I don't remember the name. I didn't write it down, and I didn't recognize the name. But I mean, it looked, it looked all right. So, they were probably fine art-wise. I can't imagine the story was all that great. And I'm not really sure... I mean, doesn't it, it's in the complete Marvel reading order, listed as kind of a normal thing, but the costume's not right because Wolverine's in the brown and yellow, or orange and brown, however you want to call it. And obviously right now, he's not. He's in the the 90s costume of the yellow and blue. Um, anyway... If you've read it and have some thoughts and opinions on it, please send those in, you know, either email or Facebook or uh, Twitter. And I'll gladly address those on the next flashback episode. But like I said, I was not willing to pay for what I saw. And so I cannot really speak to them. All right. So the last thing we're going to cover. Um, the Punisher connection is tenuous at best. But the first time the Wolverine met the Punisher, it was on an ecological type story uh, in Africa. And so we have Wolverine Global Jeopardy, which was produced by Marvel and the World Wildlife Fund. Um, so Global Jeopardy is uh, written by Peter David, uh, art by Richard Howe by Bill Anderson, letters by Steve Dutro, colors by Richard Howe, and there's photographs by Jerry Ellis, which we'll talk about what that means in a second. Um, but anyway, the cover is by Richard Howe, and it's, it's pretty meh. It's a big, like, photorealistic globe of the Earth and then stars around it, and then in front of the Earth, is a team of uh, Wolverine in the front. He's flanked by Zabu, the saber-toothed cat, and Shana the she-devil. And then swinging on a vine is Kazar, And then on the other side is Zabu, is Namor jump-swimming through space. <laughs> um, it's pretty meh. Alright, so in this one, Wolverine, Namor, and Kazar and Shana witness animals disappearing into thin air at different points of the Earth. They track the phenomenon back to the island of Castillo, who's owned, which is owned by the conservator, who is hoarding endangered species to protect. So not a bad motive, but not the best action. Uh, then our heroes convince him to make his island a nature reserve, and there all's well that ends well. Um, every other page is also a photograph and paragraph of endangered, I won't say all endangered wildlife, because some of them are plants. Um, but yeah, like every other page is some information and some pictures about endangered species of plants and animals. Uh, and that's where the photography credit comes in. Um, so, look, you guys. Um, ecology is super important. Uh, especially to a kid who grew up on zoo books, which would be me. Um, love animals. I think it's very important to take care of the planet and protect animals. So, you know, as a fun... World Wildlife Fund pamphlet, this succeeds. Um, you know, like I said, ecology is super important in using comic heroes, especially Wolverine, to aim the message at older kids who, by the way, can be very persistent with their parents. Um, you know, when when a kid who's, you know, like between the ages of 10 and 15, 16 gets to be in their bonnet, uh, you kind of wear your parents down. Okay, fine. Well, I'll use some money to donate to this, or I'll let you go serve at this function or whatever. Um, so I think you know, aiming the message at that age group is not a bad strategy. Um, so that's cool. As a comic, in and of itself, it's not great. The art's kind of hokey, and honestly, so is the story. Uh, there's a fun part where Wolverine jokes that Namar is the only person he knows that wears less than Kazar. Because <laughs> these are the days of Neymar wearing nothing but the, uh, the green uh, fish scale undies. But yeah, other than that, I mean, it's just kind of hokey as a comic book. But because the cause is intended to be more important than the contents. And that's the difference, right? Because in your regular comics, you can have causes. But it's still primarily a comic book. I think this really is more of a book to introduce and message the the purpose of the book, the cause of the book. And kind of the comic book part of it is secondary, if that makes sense. That's the way it seems. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that was not the intent. Maybe Marvel was like, well, yeah, we take all our comics seriously. That's why we put Peter David on it. Um, I personally think Peter David probably just thought it was important and was willing to kind of bang out some words on, on his keyboard for it. Um, but yeah, because I feel like it's really more of a World Wildlife fun comic that happens to have Marvel characters in it, and because ecology is super important. I think I'm not going to grade it because I would probably give it a pretty low grade. I don't want, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so I want to say, you know, as as awareness for the World Wildlife Fund, I think it's a success. As a fun little story for kids and getting them interested in, in animals, it's probably a success as a comic book from cover to cover from a pure comic book standpoint probably not that much of a success and not that enjoyable but um yeah that is Wolverine Global Jeopardy and that's gonna be it for the episode so um like I said a pretty short bonus episode but I hope you enjoyed it and yeah that's it I don't know what'll be next um and probably a lot of is, uh both on modern books and then uh Maybe some other things as well. So, um, keep that on the lookout. Um, and yeah. So, obviously, for the podcast that goes snicked, you can like the Facebook page. Twitter is at snickcast. Show notes and stuff are snickcast.podbean.com. And as always, guys, stay well, stay safe out there. And until next time, hugs and snicks. Bye bye. And snacked.